This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up, and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed about what had happened. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago, I explained that uh, our worship series, which is called Easter Encounters, is all about uh, looking through this period of time leading up to Pentecost, looking at the various encounters that Jesus, the risen Christ, had with uh, people uh, in the days following that first Easter Sunday morning. And as I explained, Easter is really a season. It's these 50 days between the resurrection of our Lord and uh, um, up until uh, Pentecost. So uh, today we're going to be looking at... Uh, what we can learn, what what kind of lesson can we learn from this encounter of the women at the tomb when they face Jesus? So let us turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we pray that uh, in these few moments that we might learn something of the wisdom that we find in your scriptures. We pray that you would give us your spirit open our ears and our hearts to what you would have to say to us. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. All right. There were nine people hanging on a rope. They were hanging from a helicopter hovering over turbulent floodwaters underneath. It was clear to the nine people hanging there that all of them were not going to make it. The rope was beginning to break. There were eight men and one woman. What were they going to do? They weren't in a position to draw straws. They were hanging on with dear life. Well, as I said, they, they decided that one person had to, had to go. One person had to let go. And no one could decide who it would be. How, how do you decide that? Finally, the woman, 
gave a really touching speech on how she would give up her life to save the others. Because, as she stated, women were used to giving up things for their husbands and their children and giving in to men. All the men started clapping. (laughs) If you didn't get that, lean over and ask someone what that means. Now, an English professor wanted to emphasize the importance of punctuation. And so on the board, the English professor wrote the following words without any punctuation. No periods, commas, colons, anything. A woman without her man is nothing. Okay. And the professor said, now I want you to punctuate this sentence. How would you do it? So the men, they wrote, a woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. Did you get that? The women in the class wrote, a woman, colon, without her, comma, man is nothing. (laughs) Needless to say, punctuation matters. Also, uh, it's a little humor, but uh, need I state the obvious. Women are smart, and women are very important. Now, the Bible, largely written, if not entirely written by men, cannot avoid those two facts. And so, throughout the Bible, we have plenty of examples that show the reality of those two facts. Let's go back in time to Sarah. Remember Sarah, the wife of Abraham? In her old age, she gave birth to Isaac. And remember, God had promised Abraham offspring that would number like the stars in heaven. Well, need need I say that there would have been no offspring without Sarah, even in her old age. So Sarah was pretty important. And then there's Miriam, the, um, the sister of Moses. Remember how Pharaoh was killing off all the young Hebrew children, much like King Herod was doing in the time of Jesus? Well, it was Miriam, the sister of Moses, who placed baby Moses into a basket and set him adrift on the Nile River. Now, I say set him adrift, but she kind of followed along, and she was there when the daughter of Pharaoh drew him out of the Nile. That's why his name was Moses. He was called Moses, or he was drawn out. It was Miriam who, in essence, saved the life of Moses, and in so doing, saved the lives of thousands of Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And then there's Deborah. Deborah, the only female judge mentioned in the Bible. Now remember, judges, they were charismatic leaders who were warriors as much as they were judges over disputes among the people. So they were considered to be wise, almost prophet-like, and, uh, but they also led warriors in battle. Now, Deborah 
is the one who um, led the Israelites in battle against the Canaanites. And her victory over Sisera uh, allowed for some 40 years of peace in, in the land of Canaan. So if there had been no Deborah, there would have been no victory. And there, who knows, maybe the Israelites and Canaanites would still be fighting it out today. And then there's Ruth, the, the foreign Moabite. She was from Moab. If you recall, she married Naomi, one of Naomi's sons. And Naomi, her mother-in-law, lost her husband. And Ruth lost her husband. And the other son of Naomi died as well. And the other daughter-in-law went back to Moab. But Ruth entreated Naomi to take her with her. She was going to go with her back to her homeland. And there she met, Ruth met Boaz and became the great grandmother of the greatest of the kings of Israel, King David. And if you follow the genealogy, that makes her an ancestor of Jesus himself. So Ruth was a very important figure. And if you look at the book of Ruth, you find that the book of Ruth falls between the judges and the kings. It is it is Ruth, this foreigner, this Moabite, who bridges that gap between those charismatic warrior-like leaders of Israel and the kings of Israel um, like David. And so it seems to me the Bible and God is trying to tell us something about the importance of this woman, Ruth, and how even in this Jewish lineage, there is this foreigner, this immigrant, if you will, that bridges the gap. And then there's Esther. Remember the, the Jewish queen of Xerxes, the, the king of Persia? You may recall the more recent movie, uh, uh, A Night with the King. Uh, Esther is the one who managed to uh, convince Xerxes not to execute the Jewish exiles, the Jewish, uh, well, those the Jews that were in exile in Persia, and she saved their lives. And today, to this very day, the Jewish people still celebrate what she did at that time with the celebration of Purim, which is a feast of deliverance. But these are, these are Old Testament women. Well, what about in the New Testament? Of course, it goes without saying how important Mary, Mag, uh, Mary the mother of Jesus, was. Uh, to this day, she is venerated by Christians around the globe. And she is one of the women who stood by Jesus at, at the foot of his cross when he was crucified. She didn't run away like so many of the men. And then there's Mary and Martha of Bethany, some of the closest friends of Jesus, sisters to Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead. There can be very few people as important to Jesus as Mary and Martha were. And then the, the uh, Mary Magdalene. Remember Mary Magdalene? We, we still hear about Mary Magdalene today, perhaps the first person to see the risen Christ according to John's gospel. And the Samaritan woman that Jesus uh, encountered at, at Jacob's well. 
It's a Samaritan woman who really teaches us the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach us, that God's love is meant for everyone. Even though he knows everything about us, we can still be loved by Jesus. And then in in the book of Acts, we read about Lydia, the seller of purple goods, perhaps the first convert to Christianity in Europe. She was a Greek businesswoman who gave shelter to Paul and Timothy and Silas in the city of Philippi. Few people as important to Paul and certainly to the spread of the gospel than Lydia. And then there was Priscilla. (laughs) Priscilla, who with her husband Aquila uh, were early traveling companions with Paul and were leaders in the early church. These women were critical to the spread of the gospel across the known world. Clearly, women are important in the Bible and in God's work. Now, that was not the norm in Bible times. As much as we see all of these examples in in the scriptures, it was not the norm for women to play these kinds of roles. It was abnormal. And in some places and even in some regions of our country today, it's not the norm either. But it was and it is the norm for God. You see, it's it's no accident. I, I firmly believe it's no accident that women were the first to see Jesus on that first Easter morning. He could have had the disciples come out there. God could have had any number of men come to the tomb that morning. But no, it, it happened to be the women. In John's gospel, it was simply Mary Magdalene who came to the tomb alone. The gospel of Matthew adds the other Mary, whoever that might be. And then the Gospel of Luke tells us that she was accompanied by Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. So there were a number of women. So, you know, whether it was one woman, Mary Magdalene, or whether it was two, or whether it was a whole host of them, a a dozen women, clearly there were no men that arrived at the tomb in the first place. But it happened to be women only women who saw Jesus that first Easter morning. And it's the women who went back to the men to tell them what they had seen, to tell them that they had met the risen risen Christ. But in our gospel lesson this morning in verse 11, to the men these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And that was the norm at that time. The witness of a woman was not the same as the witness of a man. And so they simply dismissed them as providing an idle tale. I think God is telling us something about women and about how God sees the world. You see, women are important. Every bit is important to God as men might be. And God can use every one of us, regardless of our gender, to further God's kingdom. I believe that's part of the message of our lesson this morning. I'm sure that at least one of the reasons the religious authorities so hated Jesus and eventually had him crucified was because of the way he treated women. Now, in biblical times, women were not equal to men. I think most of us realize that. (laughs) You know, we still have some, um, I guess, some semblance of that or, or... you know, uh, remains of that when 
when you think about at that time, in the time of Jesus, women were the property of men. They, they were owned by their fathers. They were the property of their fathers until the, the woman married, and then she became the property of her husband. And if she did not marry, she would become the property of her brother if her father passed away, and, and on and on. It would always be a man who would be in charge of her life. And in a way, uh, when I first uh, started out in ministry, when we had a wedding, we, there was we asked the question, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Some of you, I'm sure, have even been to weddings even recently where that is spoken. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Uh, in the United Methodist uh, uh, ritual, it's who presents this woman to be married to this man. And, uh, but it harkens back to those days when the father is giving uh, his daughter away because she was his property. In those times, a woman could not speak to a man in public. If you remember the story of the Samaritan woman, remember how Jesus comes to the well and he says, uh, woman, give me a drink. And her response is, is how, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Did you get that? How is it that you, a Jew, she doesn't say, how is it you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan, which alone would have been reason for them not to be talking, but she emphasizes the fact that she's a woman. How is it that you, a man, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? We're in public here and you're talking to me. How is it that you're doing that? And when the disciples came after she had this wonderful encounter with Jesus and her life was changed, when the disciples came back to the well, if you, if you read the story, if you read what what is said there, you'll see that John tells us that the disciples were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. The very fact that she was a woman really caused them to be astonished. And John tells us that they didn't ask her, what do you want? And they didn't ask Jesus, why are you speaking with her? They simply ignored her. Back in those days, women sat in separate places in the synagogue, either in the back or in a larger synagogue up in the balcony. Men could divorce women simply by saying, I divorce you. It was that simple. That's why Jesus spoke so often about divorce, because it had become, it had become just ridiculous what men were divorcing their wives for no reason at all. Men had that authority. And if you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery, it is the woman who is brought out to be stoned. Where was the man? And remember how he says to the people, he who is without uh, sin cast the first stone. And you, you wonder. So, some people kind of uh, joke that when he was scribbling in the sand, he was actually writing down the names of some of the men that were standing around there getting ready to stone her because maybe he... One of those men or many of them had been on her list. Well, those inequalities, as, as, as unfathom, unfathomable as they seem today, some of them still exist today. You know, there are, well, I, you know, there are Christian denominations today that do not ordain women, do not allow women to teach or preach. A number of years ago, uh, one of my female colleagues was denied the, uh, the opportunity 
to preach on a Christian radio station in Richmond because she was female. And inequalities exist, and it's not just in the Christian faith, and it's not just in secular society, but, you know, my feeling is whatever religion is harboring these inequalities, I think we have a responsibility to speak up. I remember when my boys were growing up and we would take them to the bus, bus stop. On a hot day, there was a, a, a Muslim neighbor. He would come there in his shorts with his flowery short sleeve shirt, soaking in the sun and taking in the breeze. And his wife would come completely in black from head to foot. Now, I understand the whole issue of modesty, but there's something we, we ought to be able to say, something's not right about this. Studies have shown that women today receive about 80% of the, of the pay of men. And these studies also show that women with children are significantly less likely to be hired than men with children. Why is that? You see, Jesus saw women differently, and that's why they followed him. And that's why they saw him first on that first Easter morning. It was no accident. It simply was no accident. As many of you know, I lost my mother when I was 10 years of age. And... uh, some people have remarked about how difficult that must have been. But, you know, I, I had uh, two mothers that were brought in at my wedding. <laughs> so in the course of my lifetime, I, I've had three mothers, not just one. My biological mother I only had for 10 years. But she was a significant influence on me. I don't, you know, when I, when I think back on those days, I, I cannot hear her voice. I don't. Remember her voice. And I've often asked myself, why is that? Is it because my memory's failing me? But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized she, she rarely spoke. She was so quiet. She was a gentle woman, full of peace. She taught me gentleness. She taught me quiet uprightness. And that has stuck with me ever since. So I only had 10 years, but boy, a lot was packed in in those 10 years. And, and, and I hear her spirit more than I hear her voice in my life today. When my dad died four years later, the associate pastor and his wife, Clark and Millie Blevins, took my brother and me into their home and became our foster parents. We called them Mr. and Mrs. B. Now, Mrs. B had trained to be a a nurse. She was in training up in Chicago. She uh, had many stories about the bootleggers and uh, uh, Al Capone and all that. That's when she lived. And um, that's where she was in training. She wanted to be a, a missionary, a nurse in the mission field. Her husband, Mr. B, went to tech Uh, as an undergrad uh, in agriculture and then to seminary because he wanted to be a missionary and he wanted to take with him his agricultural background. 
And so that's what they were planning to do. And I, and I often told, um, you know, Wendell and Claire Golden, they reminded me so much of the Blevins because they were, the Goldens were able to do what, what the Blevins uh, had always wanted to do. But about a week before she was to graduate as a nurse, her widower father died out in, uh, I believe it was Idaho. And so she had to drop out of school so that she and Mr. B could raise her seven brothers and sisters. So in a way, my brother and I were the third of three families that they raised. They, they raised her siblings and they raised her own children and then they raised us. They were never able to go overseas to be missionaries, but they became missionaries in Northern Virginia when I met them. And they would walk the streets of Roslyn when there were no skyscrapers then. It was a place of pawn shops and warehouses, and the streets were often uh, walked by prostitutes and, and drug addicts and drunks. And often many of those people were in their home because they loved them. Mrs. B. taught me compassion for people that were different from me. She and her husband cared for, for people that I may never have met if it had not been for them. My third mother came about when Mrs. B. Um, became ill to the point that we needed to find another home. And so I went to the home of my of a, my best friend in, in, in school, and I asked them if they wanted to have an, another son. At that point, my older brother uh, had gone off to college, and so it was really up to me to find a home. And, you know, I've often thought about this. Zira and Clyde Fogelman never, never even missed a beat in their answer, absolutely, come on in. Zira was a survivor of childhood polio, and her husband was a paranoid schizophrenic, which I didn't know until I moved into the home. We had to uh, take Clyde several times uh, to the hospital because of his mental condition, and eventually he was um, admitted into the soldier's home in Washington. You know, she was, you can't quite tell from this picture, but she's, she's in a wheelchair there, and she spent most of the last uh, decade of her life in a wheelchair. You know, she didn't have a lot, but she had a lot of room in her heart to welcome me into her home. And she taught me determination and loyalty and love. I am absolutely convinced God sent these women into my life to make me a better man. Now, you may have had such a, a mother in your life, but whether or not you did, I can't help but think that, that women have been sent into your life, whether you're a man or a woman, women have been sent into your life to make you a better person as well. And if that is true, if you can look back on your life and you can see those women, if that's true, I'm here to tell you it was no accident. Happy Mother's Day.
Let us pray. Lord, help us to realize that so many of the blessings that come our way, they're not just accidental or coincidental, but they're very precise, determined events that you have laid out before us to make our lives better. So help us, Lord, to to be grateful, to live our lives in an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for the mothers, the women you have sent our way to make us better people. Amen.